the reason for the secrecy, the reason why people inside the government and the intelligence community and indeed in private aerospace might want to put this all back in a box and the reason why some in Congress might want to listen to them might have a lot more to do with the fact that laws have been broken, crimes have been committed, Congress has perhaps not been properly informed. That's certainly the allegation that Mr. Grush is making. Welcome to the global phenomenon, Surviving the Survivor, where we bring you the best guests in all of true crime. Here's your host, Emmy Award-winning journalist, Joel Waldman. What's up, SDS Nation, and welcome to another episode of Surviving the Survivor, the podcast that promises to bring you the very best guests in true crime. And I know everyone is chomping at the bit to hear from the man with the bright blue eyes, Ross Coldheart. But first, got some exciting news about the show. Uh, we have partnered with Liquid IV, a product that I have personally used for several months now, especially since I'm back at the gym and trying to stay hydrated in this oppressive Miami heat. You can help support the show by purchasing Liquid IV. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code STS at checkout. That is 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code STS at liquidiv.com. And now let's get into the show. As true crime intersects with the extraterrestrial world, our best guest tonight, uh, he has been trending for weeks on end on social media after it was revealed in an interview he did with David Grush that the United States government is in possession of spacecraft of non-human origin and possibly alien bodies as well. Our best guest, one of the biggest we've had, Ross Coulthart, is coming to us from Sydney, Australia. He's a multi-award winning investigative journalist with over three decades experience in newspapers and television, including reporting for the Sydney Morning Herald newspaper, ABC TV, Four Corners, Nine Network Sunday program, and 60 Minutes, uh, Seven Network Sunday Night. And uh, Ross is also the best-selling author of five books, including In Plain Sight, a revised and updated edition is going to be out September 26, 2023, with a nifty new cover. Ross, welcome. Appreciate you coming on. G'day, Joel. I don't know whether UAPs fit into true crime, but I can tell you, I remember I went to a journalist's conference in Miami once and we went to the Dade County Morgue and had a, a fantastic lecture from the Dade County Morgue coroner talking about how to detect the age of a dead body. It was great but it was a bit alarming because there was a corpse in the room right in front of us. <laughs> <laughs> well, a special shout out to your friend uh, and mine, Scott Roeder, who is a crime scene reconstructionist. And uh, he actually came on the show uh, when we got news of the uh, aliens landing in that Las Vegas backyard, which we can touch on later if you want. But when we got news of that, Scott said, hey, let me come on the show. I'm going to look at this from a crime reconstruction standpoint. Uh, we had Michael Shermer on that night, a skeptic. He didn't appreciate a lot of what Scott had to say. Things got a little crazy. I'm glad it's one-on-one -on -one tonight, Ross. But uh, it is interesting, and you said yourself that as an investigative reporter, and you're one of the finest out there, you never really thought to look at this. Uh, what kind of propelled you? It was not my first question, but uh, now that we're talking about it, what propelled you into uh, examining this world in the first place? 
Well, Joel, as you know from your time in journalism, there are certain taboos that you're not meant to do stories about. And it's kind of understood in the newsroom that if you do do stories about them, you have to be very, very wary and sceptical. One of them is, I was always told, you don't do stories about suicide. And, and we were never allowed as a journalist to report about suicide victims. In the, and I think the mistaken belief that to write about suicide was to encourage it. That's changed now. You're, you're actually allowed now to write about it. But the other stigma, the other big taboo in my journalism career has been UFOs, UAPs, editors of newspapers, uh, executive producers of TV shows that I've worked for. You always get this ironic smile, this kind of giggle that comes across their faces when you talk about the phenomenon of UFOs. And I guess I was drawn, I'm a contrarian by character, and I was drawn to investigate what I'm told I'm not allowed to look at. And what I found shocked me because instead of finding what I thought I was going to find, which was some black world aerospace high technology program that's been hidden from the world's view by a very clever US military and intelligence, I actually found using military and intelligence sources that they were as bewildered by the phenomenon as I was, and that moreover, there's a long history of archival documents showing in declassified US and British and Australian military documents that whereas we've been told publicly that this phenomenon is something to be ridiculed and dismissed, the US military in particular has taken it extremely seriously. And it still is. And as we now know, virtue of the New York Times, it's been secretly investigating the phenomenon of unidentified anomalous phenomena, UAPs, for many years. It's such an interesting point. First of all, suicide, uh, you're right on the money on that. You just can't touch it in our world a minute. Uh, you know, I worked in local news for a lot of years. Uh, you know, if there's a potential homicide uh, and they found out it was a suicide immediately you're yanked off it uh, they don't want you covering that um, it's sort of understandable uh, and when it comes to uh, UFOs and UAPs uh, listen I'm a I'm an art Bell guy I was listening to coast to coast 25 years ago uh, and you would have been just laughed out of a newsroom um, you know I was mentored by some people who went on to really big positions uh, one became president of NBC News but I can tell you uh, Firsthand, you know, if I had pitched a show on uh, a story, I should say, on UFOs or UAPs at any point in my career, up until you probably started doing your work to make the uh, headway for everyone, uh, Ross, I would have literally been laughed out of the newsroom. Um, and, you know, I've, I've made this analogy before, but prior to COVID, uh, Doomsday Preppers was a huge reality show. And uh, people kind of mocked them, kind of laughed at them. And then this giant pandemic rolled in. And suddenly they weren't as crazy as everyone thought. So uh, people can't wrap their uh, mind around this subject. Uh, it's understandable because it's such an enormous uh, thing to kind of bend your head around. But, um, you know, if any of this stuff, in fact, comes to fruition, as I say to people in America, you no longer will be hearing uh, about Republicans and Democrats uh, bickering with each other. There will be uh, bigger issues to discuss. But uh I imagine at this point, Ross, uh, you wouldn't mind being abducted by aliens yourself. It's been a mad whirlwind. Um, how exhausted are you at this point? Uh, what's it like to get this sort of attention? Uh, journalists always say they don't like to be the story. Uh, what's it like for you? 
I'm actually very uncomfortable about it, to be honest, Joel. I, I, um, I, I'm an investigative journalist. I do long-form investigations, and a large part of my work is covert. And uh, might interest your audience to know that I started out writing books about outlaw motorcycle gangs. I was fascinated with the, um, the world of um, uh, biker gangs, and uh, there was a huge link between organised crime and um, drug distribution here in Australia, going right back to the, the Hells Angels in America and Rock Machine in Canada. And uh, that's what got me into long-form investigative journalism is looking at the activities of outlaw motorcycle gangs in Australia. And at the time, what was really interesting was police in Australia were giving evidence under oath to parliamentary committees, the equivalent of congressional oversight committees, swearing blue and blind that there was no link between outlaw motorcycle gangs and organised crime. And my sources were telling me entirely different. They were telling me that there was an extensive racket involving heroin distribution, methamphetamine, um, cocaine. And why were the police turning a blind eye to it? And it was interesting because I feel very much the same way at the moment with the phenomenon of UAPs. It's largely ridiculed as a subject inside media newsrooms. Um, we're told that um, if you do a story about flying saucers, generally in television, there's that ridiculous X-Files music that goes behind it. And then normally there's a little green man up on screen, a graphic. And I, I think there's an inculcated ridicule and uh, dismissiveness in media organisations to basically treat the whole subject of UFOs, UAPs with derision. And what I think people don't realise is that there's been a dramatic change that, that since the New York Times scoop from Leslie Kane and Ralph Blumenthal in 2017, there's, begin, there's begun the, the beginnings of a begrudging acknowledgement by the United States government that, frankly, it's been lying to the American public. It's been, it's been misleading people. And as my interviewee on the News Nation story I did about a month or two ago, Dave Grush, revealed, um, there's been a deliberate, very, very deliberate and calculated disinformation program directed against not just the American public, but the rest of the world, including my country, Australia, where right back to the very history of the Robertson panel, which was a CIA-sponsored UFO investigation designed to essentially placate the um, outbursts from Congress about the number of public sightings of anomalous phenomena, there's been an attempt to discredit and play down the phenomena and to dismiss plausible UAP sightings of clear craft, intelligently controlled objects, and to dismiss them prosaically, dismissing them as weather phenomenon or balloons or just mis misidentified aircraft. And I think what's happened in the last five to ten years is the US has been dragged kicking and screaming into a begrudging acknowledgement that this explanation no longer suffices. And it's culminated as recently as a couple of months ago with Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, the head of Arrow, the Pentagon's UAP investigation office, who I rather suspect is a rather reluctant UFO investigator. He's basically been dragged kicking and screaming into the Congress and has been forced to admit that, yes, there are anomalous objects that we can't identify prosaically. Uh, I think his most recent observations to the Congress under testimony with Senator Kirsten Gillibrand were that there are anomalous metallic spheres being seen all over the world 
which are incapable of current prosaic explanation. And I'm told by my own sources in the Pentagon and in the intelligence community that whereas the public's been told for decades that this is a subject to be treated with ridicule and news media are under an obligation to essentially pejoratively dismiss it with a bit of a joke, inside the US military, it's been treated extremely seriously. Uh, These objects, whatever they are, they do appear to be intelligently controlled. There are documents and witnesses recording them interfering with some of the most sensitive technology in the world, including nuclear weapons, tampering with those weapons to either run them down and make them inoperable or as is recorded in an official British government report called the Condine Report. There's even an incident that took place in Russia under the former Soviet Union where um, Russian missiles were actually powered up to literally one button push from deployment, literally one step from launch. And so we're in a really weird situation at the moment where, frankly, uh, uh, you've got this dissonance between the official public position of the US military, which is, you know, um, okay, yeah, sure, there might be something to this now, and the public mood, which is to generally dismiss it. And so that's why shows like yours and mine, I do a podcast called Need to Know, www.needtoknow.today. And what we try and do is balance the complete failure of the legacy media to properly engage with this subject matter, because the media have been overtaken by events. History has moved on. The Pentagon is now acknowledging that there is a new reality. UAPs are real, whatever they are. They're anomalous. And and as um, the former Pentagon UAP investigator, Louis Elizondo, has admitted, There are so-called five observables that distinguish these objects as anomalous. Uh, I'll go through those. The the first is they're capable of extraordinary speeds, hypersonic speeds, sometimes tens of thousands of miles an hour, tens of thousands of kilometers an hour. They're capable of um, instantaneous maneuvers. In some cases, they've been tracked doing literally instantaneous right-hand turns at huge speeds that would turn you and me into pea soup if we were inside that aircraft. Um, They're also capable of transmedium travel, air to water, water to air, and indeed air to orbit into outer space. This is phenomena that have been tracked using Earth-based sensor systems and eyewitnesses. Um, They're also capable of stealth mode, which is they're capable of disguising themselves, making themselves invisible. And perhaps most dramatically of all, they're displaying what's called positive lift. We don't know how they're doing it. They're not showing rocket motors, propellers, or uh, jet turbines. There's no visible heat source. But they're hovering in the air, apparently under their own control and energy system, in a way that we can't explain. Now, this is real. This is a phenomenon that the U.S. government now formally admits is real. And, and does, your, this- does your gut here does your gut here tell you that these craft are otherworldly, or it's something being done by uh, the defense departments, uh, you know, with different nations? Also, I'm curious, uh, you know, can answer that question. Have any countries been more forthcoming than the United States, you know, relative to 
how the U.S. Uh, has engaged their public on this issue. Well, you asked me about my gut. And bottom line is I don't go by my gut. I can't. Uh, uh, intuition is important in journalism, but ultimately what we seek to find is evidence. And so for those of your audience who aren't aware, I did an interview back in early June with a whistleblower, a witness called Mr. David Grush, mm -hmm. who until very recently, until April, was a former, was a senior intelligence officer inside the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, and also connected with the National Reconnaissance Office. And he was, at one stage, very dogmatically and determinedly a sceptic debunker on the UFO issue himself. He didn't believe it. As he told me in the interview, he went into this investigation extremely sceptical. But he was approached by his bosses at the NGA and asked to cooperate with a Pentagon congressionally mandated UAP task force, because the Congress has quite rightly started pushing for answers. They've been getting people coming to them with information, making extraordinary claims. And so the Congress has said to the Pentagon, we want you to investigate. And so the person they appointed to investigate was David Grush. He was one of the UAP investigators tasked to go out and proactively investigate claims being made by witnesses to Congress that have already been given in secret hearings to Congress, where people have testified quite extraordinary things. They've testified that there are indeed craft, spacecraft, non-human technology that has been recovered over many decades by the United States which are in the possession secretly of entities in the United States, known about by the US military or some in the US military and intelligence community, but allegedly kept secret for many decades. And this so-called crash retrieval and reverse engineering program is the central question, the central mystery that lies at the heart of what I and many other people are now very aggressively investigating. I know it sounds crazy. It sounds just ridiculous. And as journalists, we're all taught to assume that things can't be concealed like this, that governments, frankly, can't keep their mouths shut, that secrets leak. But Mr. Grush is claiming, indeed, he's already provided the evidence in secret to the Congress and also to the Inspector General of the Intelligence Community, the ICIG. And this evidence is now being assessed by the Congress. And we're now at the stage where we may very well see within the next month or so, Mr. Grush and other witnesses coming forward to the US Congress in public hearing, being given the opportunity to testify in public for the first time under oath about what it is they know about an alleged crash retrieval reverse engineering program. And I know it sounds like science fiction. I didn't believe it when I first came across it myself, but I too have spoken to people who purport to be first-hand witnesses to what is called this legacy retrieval program. And they say the United States has kept an absolutely extraordinary secret for much of the last 70 to 80 years that 
uh, uh, right back as early as 1944 with the cooperation of the Vatican, allegedly the United States government recovered an alien spacecraft and that it's been trying to back-engineer that technology for much of the last 70 to 80 years. Now, you and I both know this has been the stuff of crack pottery and tinfoil hat nonsense for much of the last, well, the period since the Second World War. It's been roundly dismissed. But what I found when I started writing my book, In Plain Sight, was that the evidence is there in plain sight, that if you go back through the historical archives of the US military and intelligence community, there's a preponderance of evidence to suggest that US highly reliable witnesses in science, military and intelligence, and also civilian witnesses, were seeing craft objects that were incapable of prosaic or mundane explanation, and that the US, despite what it was been saying publicly, has been secretly investigating this phenomenon and endeavouring to recover these objects. And that's what's being alleged by Mr. Grush. He's come forward saying that he uncovered this legacy program during his time as an investigator for the government, for the Pentagon, and that because he started getting too good at his job, he was the victim of reprisals and threats. And so that's why he went to the Inspector General of the Intelligence Community. And for those people out there who say that Mr. Grush hasn't provided any evidence, he's the first person to admit he doesn't have first-hand evidence himself. But what he has done and he's done this within the constraints of his national security oath. He hasn't been a whistleblower in the sense that he's illegally released information. What he's done is he's come forward to the proper oversight bodies, the Congress and the Inspectors General of Defence and the Inspector General of Intelligence Community, and he's given them his evidence. He's actually said, here you are. Here are the people who are running this program. This is where the program is located. This is what I know about it. I know it's incredible, but go and investigate. And that's what Congress is now doing. Yeah, and Ross, to that point, um, you know, I've had some skeptics on here. And, you know, what they immediately zero in on is, well, he got this interview with David Grush, the UFO whistleblower, but it appears to all be... Uh, you know, secondhand or thirdhand knowledge. And then they, you know, they cite hearsay. Where is the evidence? Um, is it your opinion that we will one day in the near future have a tactile, tangible piece of evidence, possibly an alien spaceship that we can hold up the muffler or whatever part of that uh, spaceship there is and say, look, this is it. Here it is. Uh, because until then, uh, don't you agree that skeptics will continue to be skeptics? Oh, look, I'm a skeptic. I mean, I I think skeptics aren't dominated by the group of small but vocal scientists who call themselves skeptics but are, in fact, debunkers. I think that there's a group of scientists who have an excessively loud voice in American mainstream commentary who allow themselves the privilege of being asserted to be the sole authoritative voice on science. And I can assure you they're largely in the minority. Um, Good science is scepticism. I agree, completely agree. And Mr. Grush, by the way, he hasn't provided hearsay because, again, uh, my background is as an attorney. I'm a trained lawyer and I know what evidence is. Witness evidence is evidence. 
you guys send people to their death in America based on witness evidence. Witness evidence is given in courts all the time. And so what I think people and the skeptics particularly are ignoring is that Mr. Grush has made it very, very clear in his interview with me and in his um, background chats with the Congress that he's not allowed because of his security oath to publicly reveal the evidence that he knows. To do so would put him in jail for a very, very long time. What he did do was go to the Defence Office of Pre-Publication Security Review, the DOPSA, D-O-P-S-R, and he asked them for permission to do his interview with myself, with News Nation for television, and the one that he did with Leslie Kane and Ralph Blumenthal for the debrief. And he sought permission to talk about non-human intelligence, crash retrievals, and indeed, allegedly, agreements with these non-human intelligences. And guess what? He was given approval. And it's not because the Defence Department has suddenly discovered transparency and openness and accountability. Believe me, they're a long way from that. What they have discovered, though, is the need to try and constrain people like Mr. Grush, who sadly has made a report to the Inspector General that he's been the victim of reprisals and threats for doing his job. He's a patriot. So what he's done is he's done the entirely proper thing. He's gone to the Inspector General, who is literally the only person in the United States with the authority under the Title 50 and Title 10 security access to be able to listen to his evidence. And the Inspector General has taken his testimony under oath. Then, and this is a point that seems to be being lost on so much of the legacy media commentary in the United States. In order for the Inspector General to be able to refer Mr. Grush's allegations to the Congress as credible and urgent, which he has done, the Inspector General then did his own private investigations. He has called witnesses evidence, not hearsay, evidence. And those witnesses have testified under oath to the veracity, to the authenticity of Mr. Grush's claims. It was only after the Inspector General obtained that evidence, not hearsay, that he then went to the Congress and wrote to the Congressional Oversight Committees, the two main intelligence committees in the Congress, and I, I'm not sure, but I suspect also the Armed Services Committee, and he notified them formally that Mr. Grush is a credible whistleblower with urgent information requiring investigation. Mm-hmm. That's why we are now at the situation we are at at the moment, where Senator Marco Rubio has acknowledged, as recently as yesterday in an interview, that the evidence of Mr. Grush and other whistleblowers demands investigation by the most important committees that do oversight of the intelligence community in the Congress. The House Permanent Select Committee for Intelligence and, most importantly, Mr. Senator Rubio's Senate Select Committee for Intelligence. Is this it true is that, a momentous uh, turning point? Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I had read that you were a bit pessimistic uh, about disclosure uh, ever coming forth and coming about until uh, you heard Marco Rubio, happens to be the senator from my state here in Florida, uh, chirping up and uh, discussing it. Has he given you renewed optimism? Were you pessimistic prior to what he had to say? 
I was very, very pessimistic before Senator Rubio came out and made his public comments because I knew that the Democrat members of the Senate Select Committee, notably Senator Kirsten Gillibrand from New York, she's been pushing for this legislation from the very beginning. There's been the National Defence Authorisation Act and it's mandated legislation that's already passed into law in December last year, which essentially requires US government agencies notably all of the defence and intelligence agencies that might be keeping a secret such as this, to come forward with any evidence that they have about UAPs. And increasingly, um, they've also demanded the uh, release of non-disclosure agreements, contracts that have been used, I think, improperly, if not criminally, to force public servants to improperly withhold evidence from the oversight of Congress. Because what's driving this now bipartisan push, quite laudably, from Senator Rubio on the Republican side and Senator Gillibrand on the Democrat side, it's a unanimous push now, a bipartisan push inside the um, Senate Select Committee for Intelligence for legislation that will mandate the release of UAP information. And there's new bills on the books now which essentially mandate non-Earth technology. Believe it or not, I'd never thought I'd see that word in black and white, non-Earth technology to be revealed to the Congress. I'm very sorry, but I've actually got this visitor I told you about, and I've got to excuse Ross, myself. You do, you, you do your thing. This is why I love podcasts. You do your thing. You'll be right back. Uh, Ross has to attend to uh, business around the house, and he's going to rejoin us. I've got tons of questions, uh, so uh, everyone stand by. Uh, if you want more STS content, that is Surviving the Survivor, subscribe to the podcast. Link in the description to all the major platforms, more content, and BTS behind the scenes coming soon and of course big shout out to the new sts sponsor uh liquid iv as well as our new partners in all this big pond podcast if you guys want to get some uh sponsorship deals on sts you want to email adopts a-d-o-p-s a-d-o-p-s at big pond podcast.com uh, I'm just going to try to get to uh, all of your questions. Thank you guys all for tuning in, tuning in. Ross is going to be back just uh, in a moment's time. Uh, what he has had to say so far is uh, simply amazing that uh, David Grush has, uh, as we know, testified uh, under oath about all this. Um, and lying under oath brings uh, tremendous penalties, including uh, time in prison here in the United States of America. Um, I, I've gotten tw uh, tweets and uh questions from uh, all around the globe, uh, knowing that Ross Coldheart was going to be on the show. And I'm going to try to get to them, including um, from Nick Pope, formerly of the uh, British Defense Ministry. And I want to give uh, a shout out as well to Zan Zetterstrom of that UFO podcast and, and Vidi Adams of uh, Team Disclosure. They've been working hard uh, behind the scenes to try to get answers uh, to all this. And uh, since I'm typically a true crime guy, uh, I really uh, leaned on them a little bit uh, prior to this uh, big interview with Ross Coldhart to uh, get their perspective. And I'm going to get into some of those questions. Uh, one of the things that uh, uh, Ross was just talking about. Uh, welcome back, Ross. Love to have. I love this style. I should do this every uh, show. I love it. But you've been talking about reprisals that uh, David Grush has been faced with. 
Uh, again, I know you don't want to be part of the story, um, but have you faced backlash? Have you gotten threats? Have you gotten emails saying you're a crackpot? Oh, gosh, I, of course you get emails from people accusing you of being a tinfoil hat loony. And in my line of work in investigative journalism, I've had a lot of people you know, basically say I've gone crazy because I'm doing stories about UAPs, UFOs. And I don't really care, Joel. I mean, I, I, I think that what's happening at the moment is the media, the legacy media are fast playing catch up. I, I had an email this morning from one of the most illustrious newspapers in the world, not in America, but one of the world's greatest newspapers and a features editor from that paper contacted me wanting to talk to me about the issue of UAPs. And this is because the preponderance of evidence is now becoming so vast that um, a large part of the media are starting to wake up to the fact that this is a reality, that, that you know, we are in a new paradigm now where even the Pentagon's UAP uh, office chief, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, admitted as recently as a few weeks ago in evidence to Senator Gillibrand in testimony that um, there is a phenomenon all around the world which he can't explain, which involves anomalous metallic spheres doing unusual things. And these things have been photographed all over the world. They've been recorded on military videos and private civilian videos, but nobody's capable of explaining them at the moment. And he's acknowledged that these things are worthy of investigation. Yeah. Now, David Grush, for example, is risking his entire career, his security oath. His, you know, he's basically come forward and testified under oath to the existence of a secret, covert, crash retrieval reverse engineering program. He's essentially called the Pentagon and the intelligence community's bluff. And to be fair to a lot of the good people, and there are good people in the defense and intelligence community, a lot of them genuinely believe this is rubbish because they have not been read into the program. What's perverse about this is Grush actually discovered that people he knew who he worked with when he started doing his investigations, they'd known about this program all along, he alleges, and it was only when he told them that he had the security clearances to know about it that they had quietly let slip to him, yes, well, actually, now that you mention it, I am aware of that program, and uh, I've been working on it for some time. I've just never been cleared to talk to you about it, and this is what I know. Mm. And it's on the basis of that kind of first person, first hand evidence, not hearsay evidence, that Mr. Grush informed himself and became the victim of reprisal complaints when he tried to investigate further. And it was as a result of those reprisals and those threats that he went to the Inspector General and made his complaint, which was then verified as credible by the Inspector General. How often and are so, you talking to David Grush? How often are you in contact? Is pretty it much every day. Pretty much. And, and some people want to know, why did he go to you and let's say uh, not George Knapp, who's a big name in uh, American Uf you know, ufology, or Jeremy Corbell, how did you get the big get? <laughs> Look, um, I'm, I'm a, hopefully I can count myself as a friend and a colleague of George and Jeremy, both of whom I respect. And I've got huge respect also for Leslie Kane and Ralph Blumenthal. I'll be honest with you, I think part of what motivated Dave to agree to speak to me was that he realized that 
I was looking at and investigating a lot of the people and the programs that he'd become aware of because I did what investigative journalists are meant to do, which is before I reach a conclusion, I develop a hypothesis based on the available prima facie evidence, and then I go out and investigate and dig and see what I can find. And I found that there were people I managed to contact who told me that they were aware of or participants in what's now known as a legacy UAP crash retrieval reverse engineering program being operated largely in private aerospace, but also with the knowledge and assistance of certain individuals in defense and intelligence, and that it's been kept very, very secret. And I I think one of the reasons Mr. Grush agreed to speak to me is because he knew that I knew a lot of what he knew, and he possibly knew some of the people that I knew. And um, we kind of crossed paths. I think also there was some concern on his part that the US legacy media is so compromised on this issue that there's some power in having an independent investigative journalist like myself who comes on from outside. I live in Australia. I'm I'm a member of a, a group of investigative journalists that investigate things collaboratively internationally. I'm a serious insect investigative journalist, and he knows that I think globally and internationally in my perspective. Maybe that's that's something that assisted in forming his perceptions of me. I I really can't speak for David, but um, I'm flattered that he agreed to to speak to me, and um, I hope that the News Nation interview that I did is is vindication of his decision. Yeah, well, it certainly helped News Nation, I can tell you that. Um, You know, it is interesting... um, I've kind of gone through uh, life in a happenstance sort of manner. Uh, and I was just talking to my wife, who you uh, sort of met uh, prior to going online here. And it occurred to me, you know, I left mainstream media. The primary reason I left is I've got three young kids and I wanted to remain married. Um, but now that uh, I've got the albatross lifted, uh, there is so much amazing work you can do as an uh, investigative, uh, an independent investigative journalist. And, uh, just so you know, you've inspired me to, you know, this is not a topic I ever would have really taken somewhat seriously, but it's people like you uh, that are getting people like me to come out of the woodwork. And I plan to stay on this. By the way, I'd have more respect for Leslie Kane and Ralph Lumenthal. They came on my show, but they've rejected me twice. But now that you have come on, uh, Ross, you are leading the way. So uh, I hope to get them on here and talk to them as well. But I am uh, all about staying on this story, uh, even though true crime is our main thing. Uh, Camille Mickey here brings up, uh, this is sort of the headline grabber, Ross, and you know that. Uh, is there any way we can get more info about the giant UAP? Uh, you were quoted as saying some of the UFO craft in our possession are so big they cannot be moved. And you also hinted that these UFOs are being housed outside the U.S. and had to have a building built to house them. Now, I'm a journalist, Ross, and I've seen some of the other interviews you got to give me something here. You got to give me a letter, a continent. Um, What more can you tell us about this? One of the things that I've learned to respect, Joel, is there are some things in this UAP field that are being kept very secret for a good reason. The source who told me about the large craft that allegedly is being stored inside a building in a foreign country outside of the United States assured me that it was safe for me to reveal that such an object exists, 
that it would be extremely dangerous and compromise worthy US national security imperatives were I to reveal the location. And I know there are people out there who uh, on social media have said I should just recklessly reveal the location. And um, I don't think they understand the obligations that I'm under as a journalist. I'm not a UAP activist. I really don't give a shit one way or the other what people think, <laughs> frankly, uh, if if they're upset. You know, I'm sorry to upset you, but um, not to be disrespectful, but the simple fact is that I'm under an enormous ethical obligation to my sources. And there are multiple corroborative sources that have told me about this. I've been able to verify the location. Um, simple fact is I can't reveal it and I really can't say any more. I'm sorry about that. But one of the things that I think will soon become apparent, hopefully in the not too distant future, is why I've made the decision that I can't reveal any more than that. And it's it's basically not because I have any doubt about the evidence. Um, I'm pretty confident, frankly. The simple fact is that I don't believe I'm not one of these people that subscribe to the belief that the United States intelligence or defense community are all evil people. I've I've had US soldiers covering my back in combat situations in, in Iraq and Afghanistan, and I have a respect and an admiration for the US defense and intelligence community. I am not about to say or do anything that compromises your national security or mine. And it's refreshing to hear that. Um... Another reporter may continue to drill down on Ross and try to get a letter or a continent. I am not going to do that out of, out of respect to Ross and uh, more importantly, out of respect to uh, the safety of his uh, source or sources on that. We did get a tweet from someone named Curious Explorer just simply asking, do you expect others to share more about this giant UFO in the near future? If it is not you, uh, will it come from someone else? I think the story. Look, frankly, I think the whole issue of what's the reality behind these UAPs is going to become apparent relatively soon. Um, I think there's a momentum gathering, particularly in the US Congress. I was quite shocked by the time duration between when Mr. Grush gave his evidence in camera secretly to the Congress. And this was well before he went public with me or Leslie Kane or Ralph Blumenthal. He gave his evidence over, I think, 10 or 11 hours of testimony to two different committees in the Congress in a skiff, in a secure facility, last year and, um, and right through to this year. And it's taken some time, I understand, to prepare the transcripts of that evidence and for the staffers responsible for the various senators to actually adequately brief their senators and make them realize that, yes, this is credible. This is really important information. And I think the Congress moves a lot slower than I think a lot of us would like it to move, but it's doing a very good incremental expositive job. I'm reassured now and optimistic that there are good people determined to get to the truth. What I'm not so sure about is whether all in the Congress oversight committees that are looking at this think that it's important that the US public knows. I think that one of the issues that is fundamentally important to them is that if Mr. Grush's allegations are correct, and if the allegations of other whistleblowers I'm aware of are correct, the US Congress has been improperly withheld knowledge of these programs. 
That's a very, very serious allegation that taxpayer money might be improperly being expended on projects or programs for which it's not being made accountable. And, and if this is true, if this has happened, and if crimes have been committed, the Congress has the right to know about it. Because, I mean, I, I, I'm a lawyer by training, and I, I have such respect for your country's constitution because it enshrines control of the government in the people. You're, you're the government. You, the Congress is essentially acting for the people. And the thing that shocks yeah, I wish, me I wish that, it would happen more often, but yeah, in theory, that is how it is. Yeah, sure. Work. But I mean, one of the great lessons of history going right back to the 1970s was that there were allegations after the Nixon administration uh, was exposed during the Watergate investigations that the CIA and other intelligence agencies had been conducting illegal intelligence operations against the American people and also conducting highly dubious operations involving alleged attempted or successful assassinations of world leaders overseas. And so quite quite properly, there was a church commission appointed where Congress did a public investigation and a private investigation, and they revealed appalling things and far-reaching reforms were brought in to make the intelligence and defense community more accountable to the Congress. Now, if Mr. Grush's allegations are correct, if they're correct, I fear the same thing has happened again 60 years later, that we're looking at a situation where Congress has not been properly informed. And so I think the priority of many of the politicians on the oversight committees is let's get this brought back within the control of Congress. But what they're struggling with still is what to tell the American people. Because what Mr. Grush is alleging is that there is a non-human intelligence. He's not saying alien. He's calling it a non-human intelligence, which has been engaging with this planet for some time. What, what, is, the, real quickly, Ross, what, what is the delineation there between non-human and not being alien? If you can clarify that for the audience. I think it's because the word alien or extraterrestrial is so loaded with meanings. You know, I, I think that it's become invested with notions of little green men and bug-eyed aliens from Zeta Reticuli. And it's so ridiculed and so easily dismissed with derision that I think it's time to use a more neutral term. It's why we've gone from UFO, which commonly people associate with, you know, little aliens in flying saucers, to UAPs, Unidentified Aerial or Anomalous Phenomena. And it's essentially a recognition that whatever this phenomenon is, and I suspect this is the case, extraterrestrial, the notion that this is an intelligence from another planet somewhere else in our universe or our galaxy, is possibly the least likely explanation. Perhaps it's intra terrestrial. Perhaps it's always been with us on this planet. And perhaps, just perhaps, there's a civilization that has been sharing this planet with us for tens of thousands of years that we haven't been aware of, but which is perhaps recorded in early civilizations and in some of the uh, relics or monuments or technologies that we know existed tens of thousands of years ago that we haven't been able to explain. And so, Ultimately, the reason why we use the term non-human intelligence is because perhaps another explanation is 
maybe they're transferring themselves from another dimension. We do know that modern physics, quantum physics, opens up the possibility of us living or the probability that we're living in a multidimensional universe. And perhaps, as is hypothetically speculated by many physicists, wormholes or portals have opened that allow these non-human intelligences to enter where we live. I simply don't know. But gee, as we know that whatever this phenomenon is, it's real. It's acknowledged to be real by the Pentagon. Here's a former very senior intelligence officer saying, call my bluff. Put me under oath. Put me under oath. Call me. I'm happy to be testifying in public hearings. Call my bluff. Well, we could don't be on. Think, don't you think it's time that we actually properly investigated this? What I'm not confident about, though, is that everyone in Congress wants you to know if it's true that there is a non-human intelligence or that we've recovered their technology. I think there are there are many in the Congress who would be very grateful if we could put this all back in a box and quietly forget about it for another 70 or 80 years because I think, one, it's confronting to their worldview. For a lot of deeply religious people, it's, mm. it's very confronting to their religious beliefs. And yet, frankly, I, I think some of the world's religions are far more open-minded than we care to admit. Even the Vatican has acknowledged the possibility or probability of non-human intelligence, and it's openly accepted that we are all God's children. So the reason for the secrecy, the reason why people inside the government and the intelligence community, and indeed in private aerospace, might want to put this all back in a box, and the reason why some in Congress might want to listen to them, might have a lot more to do with the fact that laws have been broken. Crimes have been committed. Congress has perhaps not been properly informed. That's certainly the allegation that Mr. Grush is making, and it's backed. This is the point when the when the skeptics squeak, show me the evidence. The fact is there is the evidence. They've provided the evidence. It's been provided in the proper forums to the Inspector General and to the oversight committees of the Congress. What is the issue, though, is whether you, the public, the people who actually run the government, own the government, and supposedly control the government, whether you will be given the privilege of knowing what I'm being told privately. Yeah, to that point, uh, I am not T-Pain, who's a fan of the show. Uh, there are a couple of questions like this. We'll take some questions. I still want to get to Congress and disclosure uh, before I let uh, Ross go. Uh, what is the most believable piece of evidence you've seen to support UAPs and aliens being real, followed here by... Uh, Stu's, hi Ross. Have you seen evidence of UAPs that you have not been able to share with us? Uh, if so, uh, did it blow your mind? By the way, uh, uh, where did this go? Here we go. Marina, my friend in Spain, I echo her sentiment. She says, I'm starting to realize that I could actually fall in love with a voice. Damn. Uh, quick, very quick, short story. We'll get back to this. I had uh, Dr. Avi Loban on my show before I was into true crime, uh, Ross, and my mom who co-hosts a show with me, a Holocaust survivor, one night a week, demanded that I ask him what I could do for him. And he asked for $150 million for a microscope <laughs> for his Galileo project. And I said, I can't do that. She said, don't ever ask guests anything. But I'm thinking of asking Ross Coldheart to voice and open for my show. How friggin' cool would that be? But back to this question right here. Uh, Stoos says, have you been able uh, to see any of this evidence? Did it blow your mind? Your answer. 
Uh, I'm aware of allegations that I have not yet been able to corroborate to my satisfaction to feel confident that I can publish or broadcast them that, yes, are very disturbing and mind-blowing. Uh, but as a journalist, I accept that I have a responsibility to try and convey information that at least I've been able to verify with hopefully multiple corroborative witnesses. And it's a difficult process, especially when you're dealing with the secrecy of um, the UAP issue. If there is a secret legacy program, and if people are concealing that program within special access programs and under national security oaths not to reveal it, it's extremely difficult to get corroborative witnesses to go on the record. And that's why congressional oversight is so important, because it's only through Congress doing its job. Um, and, and we've had these great moments in American history. I, I remember as a young student, I was a fan of the Iran-Contra hearings that revealed extraordinary criminality inside the US government to conceal the um, the, the use of a, essentially a black illegal program smuggling guns to facilitate arming the the, um, the Sandinistas mm -hmm. who were fighting the, the Contras who were fighting the Sandinista socialist regime in Nicaragua. And, um, you know, these things happen in governments and governments don't want to reveal these secrets. And, you know, I can understand that. I've met people who were participants in those regimes and they, they you know, they, they take it on the chin. They, they sort of say, you know, of course we have covert programs and of course governments sanction things they shouldn't sanction. It's just a grim reality. But every now and then Congress does its job. It scratches its back, wakes up and goes, you know what? It's time we brought these guys back into line. And I really do think that with the UAP issue, um, I'm certainly myself at a level of proof where, prima facie, we need to bring these people back into line. There needs to be a public reckoning. I, I actually work with Ollie North at Fox News. We uh, were about an office away from each other. He was at the center of the Iran-Contra hearings, and uh, Big Bad Marine he used to come in with his little, uh, tiny little teacup dog every day, which uh, always <laughs> got a giggle out of me. Um while you were uh, taking care of some uh, house business, I did mention Dan Zetterstrom uh, of that UFO podcast. I, I, I you know, I, I dipped into some brighter minds on this because I don't do this full time for full disclosure. He had a very simple question, uh, one that I was angry I didn't think of, which is what questions or what is the biggest question that's not being asked right now, Ross? <sighs> That's a really good one. I mean, there are multiple for me. One of the biggest questions that I'd love to see answered is why the secrecy? You know, is there really a plausible reason anymore for the ongoing secrecy? It's pretty obvious to me, and I write about this in my book in plain sight, about how the leaked uh, WikiLeaks emails of conversations on email between John Podesta, who was working for Hillary Clinton as a senior campaign advisor, and um, two former very senior US Air Force generals, Neil McCasland and Michael Carey, and um, Richard Robert Weiss, the um, then chief executive of Skunk Works Lockheed Martin. It, it's quite clear that in the run up to the 2016 presidential election, there was actively consideration that if Hillary Clinton became president, she uh, was definitely going to push for UAP 
disclosure. And she's made no secret of the fact, and neither has her husband, President Bill Clinton, of the fact that they both think that the US government is in possession of information that it has not revealed on this subject. So has, by the way, President Obama and President Trump. There's a unanimity of opinion among all of the recent presidents that the US does know something and that they've, to a greater or lesser degree, been briefed into it. But what I think is really interesting is that in the period, it's now a matter of historical fact based on these leaked emails that the one useful thing Russia's done in the last few years is force the disclosure of these emails that whose authenticity is not in any doubt at all. And these emails show that there were negotiations ongoing between senior US Air Force people, a senior private aerospace company, and the president, aspirant's chief advisor, to essentially negotiate some kind of controlled disclosure relating to UAPs that was anticipated to, to be being rolled out in 2017. And of course, this all went kaput when, in fact, President Trump won the election. And I suspect that there was a decision made to hold off in the short term because a lot of people perceived Mr. Trump, President Trump, as being um, uh, too erratic to be in possession of this information. But what I am told is that President Trump actually at one stage did receive, he requested and received a briefing on UAPs. And a lot of people have overlooked a very interesting interview he did with his son, Don Jr., in the run-up to the um, uh, his attempt to win in a second term, where he um, admitted to Don Jr., that he had been briefed into something about the Roswell crash of 1947. And yes, it is very interesting. And he said, I'd like to tell you more about that, but on a future occasion. And of course, he didn't go on to win the presidency and we were lost the opportunity to be given the information that he says he possesses. But it's quite obvious to me that a decision has been made for many, many years to keep secret something that the US government knows about UAPs. And I'd just like to know. I'd love to know why the secrecy. Is there a plausible reason? Uh, is is there some valid reason other than the risk of embarrassment because they've lied to the American people and the rest of the world for so long? Uh, well, Ross, this question, this question here sort of uh, lends itself to what you're talking about from KPW. Can you ask, Ross, how much foreign policy and mainly geopolitics are disguised as something else, but it really has to do with the phenomenon i.e. wars, sanctions, relations, um, are we being, uh, you know, thrown, a, 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 you know, a, a curveball of sorts to take our attention away from what is really happening, in your opinion? Well, it's certainly a, an allegation from David Grush, who's, you know, obviously one of the few top former senior intelligence officers who's been willing to go public, that one of the things he told me in my interview with him was that there's been a secret Cold War going on between Russia, China, and the US for control of and access to this retrieved non-human technology. And if Mr. Grush is telling the truth, then it's quite extraordinary because each country, our potential adversaries in Russia and China, is racing to develop these technologies and depending on who you talk to, certain people say these technologies have or haven't been able to be developed. I've done stories myself where I've spoken to people who've witnessed technologies that do appear to be under US control, 
which are doing extraordinary things, demonstrating some of the so-called five observables that defy modern physics explanations. Uh, yeah, there is a question mark in my mind as to whether the United States um, uh, is in possession of this technology, and I think that's what needs to be being investigated. But yes, in answer to the broader question, it's speculative on my part, but yeah, there are people who suggest to me that once you know the real story, uh, there will be a new complexion on ex explanations for a lot of what's been happening in recorded human history. Uh, Ross, a couple of things I have to get to, uh, and you've been so generous, but uh, you did mention uh, Congressman Tim Burchett of the great state of Tennessee uh, on the latest episode of Weaponized, which I listened to with George Knapp and Jeremy Corbell. Shout out to those guys, and they have an open invite on this show as well. Uh, he mentioned he is hoping for a public house hearing uh, at the end of July. Today is, I believe, July 12th. You are the future, Ross, so it's the 13th where you are. Uh, does it happen at the end of July? And uh, do you care to take a, a guess at who might testify? Uh, the names David Grush have been uh, bandied about, as well as Lou Elizondo, Ryan Graves, Eric Davis, uh, possibly another unknown uh, person. Uh, what say you? Will these congressional hearings kick off or will there be a further uh, kicking of the can down the road? I'm pretty confident there are going to be congressional hearings. What I'm not sure of yet, because I think even Tim Burchett, the representative from Tennessee, has acknowledged it's not his call. It, it's the call of the chairman of the committee, I think Representative Comer on the House Oversight and Accountability Committee, whether they can squeeze this in before the end of July. There's also another issue here, Joel, which is that I don't doubt at all the good intentions of Tim Burchett and whatever people think of his politics. I want to applaud Tim for taking a consistently strong line in pushing for disclosure, in pushing for an answer, because he's rightly concerned that the allegations of David Grush raise concerns about accountability and transparency, illegality and possible criminality by arms of the US government and private aerospace. If that's true, it should be being investigated. It should be an imperative for any representative and any senator to investigate. And I agree with the listener who's just commented that Dave Grush is a bra brave patriot. He is a hero. And people need to acknowledge this. And I think eventually people will get to see that this is a man of true courage who's basically doing what he believes is the right thing to inform the American public the Congress and the world about what he believes clearly is true, that there has been the most monstrous cover-up, the most monstrous criminality and illegality, and that it's time it was exposed. But whether that gets revealed before the end of this current session, I'm not so sure. There's also the issue that the House Oversight Committee that Tim's part of doesn't have the full security clearances to hear all of the evidence that Mr. Grush wants to give. Because... This is the crazy situation is if the Pentagon is dismissive of Dave Grush, if they think it's all rubbish, why have they said nothing, absolutely nothing about Mr. Grush's credibility since he went public? Hmm. They haven't because they can't, because they know he's vouched for by very, very senior people in the defense and intelligence establishment. He is an impeccable, high-credibility intelligence source, quite literally the man who carried the presidential daily briefing into the White House West Wing for delivery to the president. 
He's trusted with over 2,000 special access programs. And by the way, he hasn't revealed anything that he shouldn't have to me. He's very, very proper about his national security obligations. And on countless occasions, even though I've pushed him, he said to me, no, I can't tell you about that. I'm sorry. I'm happy to testify about it in private to the Congress. And what people need to understand is it may not be the House Oversight Committee that can do this digging. It may need the Senate Select Committee for Intelligence or maybe one of the um, subcommittees of that committee to do the right probing where the, the responsible staffers and senators have actually got the clearances to hear Mr. Grush's information. Because, look, I, I can respect the fact, I, I don't want to sound like an apologist for people who've engineered a cover-up, but I guess I am. Let's be honest. The simple fact is I can see why there's a reluctance in the US government to reveal technologies that might give America a strong advantage over its foreign rivals, its foreign potential adversaries, Russia and China. None of us should or want to do anything to compromise the US's ability to maintain strategic dominance. My country, Australia, is an ally of your country. We're friends. We've, we're good mates going back decades. We've fought wars in collaboration with each other going back over a hundred years. There is no desire for anyone to do anything to compromise national security. So what I think is the central question that's really at the heart of what's going on in Congress is Congress is wrestling with the issue of if David Grush is telling the truth, and it certainly looks that way because there are so many corroborative witnesses who are backing what he says privately in, in sworn testimony before the Congress already. There's been people giving evidence for over two years now. If he's telling the truth, the implications are that the world, America and the Congress have been lied to for decades about a non-human intelligence engaging with this planet. They've also been lied to about a technology. And, and the issue that is central is, is it possible to admit the existence of a non-human intelligence, but not reveal the secrets of that technology? And I think it is. I think it's time the public were told the truth. And to that point, if this has been going on, this, you know, this hiding of information for decades upon decades, what is the sort of singular salient point that the United States government is so fearful of? What are they afraid of, that the American people can't handle the truth, to use that line from uh, whatever movie, I just forgot what it was. But, uh, you know, is that what it is, that they are too fearful um, of how the reaction would play out? Joel, I, I, I suspect, and the best explanation that I've had from the insiders that I've spoken to is, I suspect the US is a lot more advanced with this technology than it cares to admit. And I think it's realized that the potential for this technology to be used as a weapon is quite disturbing and terrifying. It's been explained to me that some of this technology, when properly understood, is quite simple, and it's also formidably dangerous. It's potentially world-ending. You know, it's it's awesome technology. It makes nuclear weapons uh, look tame. And so the concern is about revealing things that might force the disclosure of things that, quite rightly, shouldn't be disclosed. Like 
you know, you and I, for example, we don't need to know how to make a nuclear bomb. I never want to know how to make a nuclear bomb, and I, I certainly hope that no nuclear weapon is ever used again in in anger. But the um, the simple fact is that the existence of the nuclear bomb program, the Manhattan Project, um, was kept a secret largely during the Second World War. And then, of course, when Truman made the announcement that we had the weapon in the 1940s, it became publicly known that there had been this secret program, a laudable secret program, to essentially help the, develop, the American government develop a weapon that, that hopefully helped at least shorten the course of the war. I know that's a controversial contention, but I happen to think it's true. Um, God help any young American man who would have had to charge ashore on mainland Japan in the final days of the war. Why were more American lives worth the expenditure when there was a weapon that could have solved it so quickly? Interesting arguments. Yeah. Um, and similarly with the UFO UAP issue, if there is a technology that is potentially quite dangerous, and if it's still being worked on and understood by the American government, and if as we are, we're in an incredibly dangerous period with both China, Russia, Iran and North Korea, there is an argument that we need to be extremely careful about what we reveal publicly. And so it's it's not an easy argument to manage, but the message I would be sending to the Pentagon and to the intelligence community is that it's frankly time they started engaging with people like me, who are opinion leaders and influencers on this subject. I'm already talking to people in the national security establishment who are telling me that this is a reality, they are as perplexed as I am at the continued lack of planning and inability to come to terms with the decisions that need to be made in how to deal with this subject. And Frankly, Rob, I'm assuming at this point that you're not just going to them, they are probably predominantly coming to you now. Is that the case? Sure. I mean, I've, I've been reached out to by very important people. Um, mm -hmm. and, and this is what I don't understand, Joel. Is I've been waiting for you know the preeminent national security reporters from some of the greatest newspapers in the world in your country, the great TV networks that I've um, you know been privileged to work with occasionally in places like Iraq and Afghanistan, NBA, NBC, ABC, CBS, Fox, CNN, and they're all staying away from the story because they're scared of it. They're burdened by years, decades of ridicule and derision. And frankly, what's happening is social media like my show, Need to Know, and yours is catching up with the reality far quicker than they are. And the terrible thing is, I think probably within a very short period of time, there is going to be some revelation, particularly from the Congress, which makes this evidence so incontrovertible that the legacy media will finally have to play catch-up, and then they're going to look ridiculous. Yeah, if I was the editor of a major newspaper right now, I would be tasking my investigative teams. I'd be hiring me. You know, I'm, I'm under-resourced. I'm a freelance journo operating in country New South Wales, doing this almost as a hobby uh, in conjunction with my day job, doing, you might be interested to know, largely true crime stories with an Australian TV network. And the, the thing that I find hilarious is I feel an enormous journalistic obligation to my sources to continue digging into this story, even though I'm doing it for absolutely no pay, uh, because to me, it's the biggest story ever.
if it's true, if what Mr. Grush is saying is true, and I notice that your Florida Senator, Marco Rubio, said this just in the last day, he's acknowledged that if this is true, Dave Grush is revealing the biggest story in human history. And if it's not true, it means that people with incredibly high clearances, and notice Marco Rubio used the word people, he's referring to multiple witnesses, not just Dave Grush, have come forward making assertions. If it's true, if it's not true, then they're crazy. That's a shocking indictment of the US intelligence community that also involves investigation. So this is the moment. We're at a moment in human history where I think for the first time in 54, 55 years, Congress finally has the opportunity to ask the question. And we're all waiting with bated breath to see what Congress does next. Is it going to blow it? Is it going to ask that question? I'd be looking more at September than July for those answers. We're going to wrap in just a couple of minutes. Uh, to your point about the legacy media, I think that's really why shows like this and yours are taking off, not to tout ourselves, but I just think it's a, a fact of reality. Uh, and people are losing uh, interest in traditional media. They are too safe. They are controlled by too many sponsors and uh, they will not take a risk. Uh, and to your point, if this is true, with a big if, this will be the biggest story of all time, undoubtedly. Uh, by the way, it was a few good men. Uh, you can't handle the truth. This is my second show of the day, so I apologize for that. Um, I did reach out. When you when you got up to handle some business, I mentioned, um, Ross, I reached out to some people. One of them you know uh, well, I'm sure, Nick Pope, formerly with the uh, British government's Ministry of Defense. Uh, he had a question for you. That basically within Congress, both the Senate and the House are involved uh, with Armed Services Committee, Intelligence Committees, Oversight Committees, various subcommittees. Uh, does the multitude of players confuse matters? And how can you untangle this um, within the U.S. government? Is it possible? That's a very good question from my good friend, Nick Pope, who I, who I first met, by the way, way back in 2008, doing a UFO story with him at Rendlesham in the United Kingdom. Um, Yes, it does. Uh, I'm told that the Senate is far better briefed on this subject uh, than the House. And there's also resistance at the House Permanent Select Committee for Intelligence level. Unfortunately, I, I think there's a senator from Ohio, uh, sorry, a, a representative from Ohio, Turner, um, who, not through any fault of his, the simple reality is that a large part of his constituency is um, largely areas like the Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, you know, the U.S. Air Force. He's, he's beholden to an extremely powerful lobby in the military uh, and intelligence community. And he has to weigh his decision to engage with this subject with the lobby coming back at him in the Congress from those communities. It's, it's a big problem uh, that there is a division in the, in, the, in the Congress between the House and the Senate. I would say the Senate is far more aggressive on this, and I think a lot more of the action is going to happen in the Senate. I'm not giving up hope, though, because Tim Burchett and um, Representative Mike Gallagher uh, are pushing for the Oversight and Accountability Committee to ask some hard questions. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if David Grush was one of those witnesses. And uh, I'm aware of um, a few of the uh, other witnesses that are being approached to appear. And I think we're just going to have to wait and see whether Burchett and Gallagher get their wish and whether these people are allowed to testify. Are we going to see, uh, I mean, I think we're seeing it to some extent now, but sort of uh, 
a whistleblower ripple effect that other whistleblowers are now lining up. Um, is it true? And uh, do you think they're going to come forward with quote unquote direct evidence? Uh, and how far out might that be? Yes, yes, and yes. Um, I'm talking to whistleblower potentials myself, people who have spoken to me privately and verified a lot of what David Grush has told me and told America. Um, and they're telling me that they're willing to testify. But what they want to see is an expression of good faith from both the Pentagon and the Congress. They want an assurance that if they stick their heads up, they're not going to be annihilated. Because yes, okay, there are supposedly laws in place to protect them. And they're meant to go forward to the ARO, the All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, which is the Pentagon's UFO investigation office. And sadly, a lot of the witnesses, in fact, most of them are deeply skeptical about the integrity of that organization. They don't think that um, uh, the people who have tasked it are genuine. And they think that it's actually there to undermine attempts to get to the truth. That's a very serious allegation, of course, and I hope that's not the case. I'm assured that there are some very good people on the RO team but the problem's been, of course, that until very recently, it was largely under-resourced. It's only because of the laudable efforts of Senator Gillibrand, uh, backed by Marco Rubio, the senator from Florida, that they've now been able to get full funding for the RO office, even though it's been going now for over a year. So the big question is, why was the Pentagon starving the very office that the Congress mandated to investigate this issue? And is it true, by the way, it's really important this, Tim Burchett's gone on the record already yesterday saying that witnesses that he's talking to are being threatened not to appear before Congress. If that's true, that's a criminal contempt of Congress. That's a breach of the law. Let's bring those people responsible in the Pentagon, in chains, drag them before a congressional committee and have them explain themselves. This is serious. You know, we're seeing an opportunity for the American public and the world to finally get to hear the truth, whatever that truth is. And the allegation being made by a representative that's trying to get witnesses before the Congress is that witnesses are being intimidated. They're being threatened not to appear by people in the Pentagon. If that's true, let's, let's see those people exposed and judged for their crimes. 100% with you on that. Uh, when I was an investigative reporter at uh, the local Fox station, the flagship station in New York City, uh, I did a story about um, air traffic controllers falling asleep on their watch uh, uh, as President Obama would fly into the airport. They were using computers, laptops, cell phones when they uh, should have been uh, monitoring planes uh, and traffic. Uh, the point I make is we had a, an FAA whistleblower who came out and what did the government do? They crushed the whistleblower. And uh, George Knapp has come out and says uh, he is he believes uh, it is his belief that there's going to be stiff pushback against pending whistleblower legislation. Do you agree with George Knapp on this? Yeah, it's already happening. I mean, the negotiations are happening in the Congress at the moment. I, I recommend uh, a guy called Dean Johnson, who has a, a Twitter feed that's reporting on these developments as they're happening right now. There's a bill before the Congress pushing for transparency, pushing for the Pentagon to be forced to reveal more of what it knows. And yes, there is legislative pushback. There are lobbyists from the Pentagon and the intelligence community who are going and saying, actually, we don't really want that legislation. Can you make sure that it doesn't go into the bill? 
And that's terrible because people need to remember if they care about this issue. I know it's so easy to be apathetic about politics and to feel that you're not really represented and that essentially you don't have a voice anymore. You do have a voice. The wheel that squeaks gets the grease. People should write letters to their Congress representatives. They should write to their senator. They should push and make it clear that they think this UAP issue is fundamentally important because the days for derision and ridicule are over. It's real. Whatever it is, it's real. The Pentagon admits that it's real, begrudgingly. It doesn't like it, but it's got to admit it. And so now we've got this ridiculous situation where the Pentagon's admitted there is a reality there that it can't explain, but it's fighting like, as we would say in Australia, like blue-ass flies to basically try and avoid disclosing what they know. And uh, I'm sorry, there's a cover-up happening. There is a pushback. George is quite right. George and I and Jeremy, we've all spoken about it. We know that witnesses are being intimidated. People are being threatened. David Grush's primary allegation to the Inspector General is that he's been the victim of reprisals and threats. Now, that's terrible. This is somebody who did his job as a patriot, who's obliged to follow the law, and he has heeded the law. He's heeded the terms of his security oath. The job is now with Congress to decide whether or not it's got the balls to investigate. I still doubt that it has, but let's just see. We're going we're gonna to find out just to show you how bifurcated uh, the world still is. Two comments back to back. Prove it. Kim Inari says Roswell was real, followed by Elaine, who says a complete cult, I assume, speaking of uh, believers. Um, you did address recent news from James Comer uh, that some witnesses did fail their background checks and are now being uh, replaced. Um, can you just speak to that briefly? And then we'll wrap up with a quick question on disclosure. Uh, yeah, yeah. Some some witnesses here. I think uh, James Comer did acknowledge that um, they'd done uh, investigations into the background of some witnesses. I'm told that none of those were witnesses that are in corroboration of what David Grush is talking about. Mm. And uh, finally, disclosure. That's the word we hear bandied about so uh, often. Um, do we finally get disclosure? Is there any way to expedite the process? Well, yes. I mean, frankly, yes. Uh, Make it clear. I mean, I I feel like a squeaky wheel saying this, but make it clear to Congress that this matters. Write letters. Don't just send emails. People should write letters to their congressional representative and their senator and say, this matters to me. This is a central issue for me. I suspect it's already going to be an issue in the presidential campaign, the next run up to the next election, because both Gillibrand and Marco Rubio are presidential aspirants at some stage. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if the reason that they're running with this is because they know what they know. They know that Mr. Grush may very well be correct, that there has been a monstrous cover-up. And to be the congressman or the senator that helps assist the public in learning this secret and exposing it is a political passport to great success. So I'm not demeaning the motives of those people, but it's politically opportune at the moment for this issue to finally be made public. And this is why I really do. I mean, one of the things that as a journalist I've seen is when governments try and conceal and hide, it's often the cover-up that hangs them rather than the conspiracy that led to the cover-up. And in this case, 
I think there's a terrible mistake being made. I'm told there is no plan in place in the White House for how to deal with this issue. I've actually spoken to people who've told me the White House has no plan, which is astonishing <laughs> because I know, I know they know. I mean, I know they're aware of what's been briefed before the Senate Select Committee for Intelligence, the House Permanent Select Committee for Intelligence, and I know that they've read some of the transcripts of some you of these. You think they're working on it now? I mean, are they sitting on their hands, or you think they're working on something now? No, I don't think they're working on something. I think they're in paralysis. I mean, this is just such a confronting political reality that they're just hoping like hell it doesn't surface before the next presidential election campaign. They've got so much else on their plate that they're worrying about. But the simple fact is they need to worry about it because it's going to come out whether yeah. they like it or so, not. So, Ross, we talked about uh, Tim Burchett and uh, Senator Marco Rubio. Um They've obviously been pushing the issue, but what do you say to other officials who have not engaged with the subject yet? Any final message to them before we wrap it up? You can be on the right side of history or you can be on the wrong side of history. If you are currently an official who is in breach of the laws passed by the Congress late last year, which mandate that you must come forward with information that you hold about UAPs or crash retrievals or legacy programs, you are in breach of the law, and one day you will be held to account. More importantly, public opinion will be brought to bear on how you have conducted yourself. It's a patriotic duty to come forward with this information to make sure that the Congress is properly informed. That's not too hard. Uh, for those who do not know, if you've been living under a uh, alien spacecraft, Ross Coldheart, he is a multi-award winning investigative journalist with over three decades uh, experience in newspapers and television. He is also an attorney, a trained attorney. Uh, he's also the best-selling author of five books, including In Plain Sight, a revised and updated edition. I already have the new book cover on, on the thumbnail for this show. It's going to be released on uh, September 26, 2023. There's info on his show. Ross's show is need to know today. Uh, there's no person who uh, knows this subject matter uh, better in the United States. Uh, one of the highest awards you can get is the Edward R. Murrow Award in Journalism. But uh, if Ross stays on this, maybe they'll be handing out the uh, Ross Coltheart Award uh, down the road at Columbia University and uh, other places. Do you have a final sentiment, uh, Ross, and then we will say goodbye? Uh just to remind people, I'm not a UAP activist. I'm a journalist. I'm interested in evidence. I'm interested in the truth. And so should everybody. You know, it's these are momentarily, at the moment, allegations. But they deserve investigation. Uh, a massive thanks to uh, both Scott Roeder, who helped me set this up, and, uh, of course, the man himself, Ross Cold heart with both the mesmerizing voice and mesmerizing blue eyes. A quick reminder, this episode is sponsored by liquidiv.com. Use code STS for 20% off your purchase. It helps hydrate. Shout out to our agents at Big Pond Podcasts. If you want to sponsor STS, you got to email them. ADOPS, ADOPS at bigpondpodcast.com. Uh, thank you to Ross again. Thank you to STS Nation. Love you. Australia. Love you, Sydney, Australia. Love you, America. Love you, aliens. If you're out there, please come say hello. Until next time.
final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system, or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. 